Welcome to Chala Talk. I'm Jack Yanover. I'm Bobby Becker. And we are back after a three-week hiatus. Season one is over. Season two, we're ready to begin. And what better guest to start with? Olivia Surgat, welcome. Hello. I'm very excited to be here. So, uh, we got a great challah today from Kaufman's Deli. Thank you, Olivia, for bringing it in. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Kaufman's fan. Bobby, do you like Kaufman's? I'm a Kaufman's fan. You're a Kaufman's Deep in my fan? Heart, I am. All right. I don't think I've ever had their challah. Great corned beef sandwich, but I'm excited to try the challah. So we have Michael Howie here to rip it up into three pieces, and we can, yeah, get right into it. I get the biggest piece, as always. <laughs> All right, so Olivia, I'm sure you know the drill. Mm-hmm. Do you have any experience with challah, and what do you look for in a challah? Okay, so my experience is relatively limited. Um, I, When I lived in Canada, I would come back here, and because um, I have family here, and we would always go to the bagel at Old Orchard in Skokie, which unfortunately is now closed, um, but I think they have another location somewhere else. Um, so we would have hollow there sometimes, um, but other than that, not the most experienced with it. Big bagel fan as well. It was yeah. very sad when that went away, uh-huh. but Kaufman's is one of the last great delis in the area. All right, Bobby, first impressions? Yeah, the outside is a little hard of a crust. Um, sensing very dry. I think it's a pretty average hollow, three and a half. All right, I'm going to be a little more generous. I'm a fan. Um, my piece was a little more to the inside, so maybe I got some of the better, better part of the challah. I'm going to give it a four out of six. I agree. I think the outside is a little bit hard, but I am enjoying it. So I'm going to give it like a four as well. Four, four, three and a half. All right. Not a bad start. 11.5. Not a bad start. Mm -hmm. Jesse Uh, Yang has taught me how to do math correctly. Oh, good. You needed it. All right. Well, we've got a lot more to talk about than Mm challah, so... Olivia, I'm going to let you go ahead and tell your story. You've been dealing with a lot these last two years. Yes. So I think you could call me your pretty average, typical new Trier kid up until um, the beginning of my junior year. Um, Right before school started, I was on a vacation with my family in Poland. And before that, I was kind of feeling like a little bit sick. So I would go to uh, I went to the doctor and she's like, oh, I think you just have, like, whatever, some sort of infection thing going on. Um, here's some antibiotics. You should feel better in a few days. Um, and then she said, and you're cleared to go to Poland. So I went, and I stepped off the plane, and I was like, wow, my, I'm feeling a lot of discomfort in my back. Like, this is weird what's going on. But, I mean, it's only been a few days since I've been on antibiotics. I should be fine. Of course, a few days passed. I didn't even leave the hotel room. And um, the pain was just increasing and increasing to the point where I was unable to walk. And the one time I did try, I was just in tears the whole time. So then we end up going to a doctor there. She said the same thing as the last people. Another day passes. I was like, Mom, something is wrong. And usually I'm not the kind of person to complain that much. I've been a dancer my whole life and the kind of... Um, motto, I guess, that you're taught is, like, smile through the pain, like, just get to the end of the dance, and then you can cry about it as much as you want. So I've never really been one to complain, and we basically went to the doctor. I was like, something's really wrong. 
they finally did an ultrasound and found um, a tumor the size of three baseballs on my right kidney. So that obviously prompted us to fly back home as soon as possible and get all of the help that we needed. In shock, we flew back home and I started treatment at Lurie's once we found out exactly what it was, um, stage four Wilms tumor, which is a kind of kidney cancer really common in really young children. So it was really rare that I, as a 16-year-old girl, was diagnosed, um, but the cure rates were still super high and there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel eventually. So, so our first episode on the show, we talked a lot about confronting our own mortality mm-hmm. and how that can change one's perspective. And you right. seem to be the ultimate example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, now granted, that was in the context of the fake lockdown, so not <laughs> nearly the same scale. So Come I'm sure on. you have a much better answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is a crazy thing, especially being so young. It's like, and I'm someone that looks very like far into the future. I'm excited about the future um, and everything I'm planning on doing. And I was all of a sudden, like, handed this situation that's like, okay, you could literally die in a few days. Like, I, at, th- at that point, I had no idea, you know, like, what, um, like, how long I had to live. I was like, what is going on? This is just insane. And what I what I would wonder, because at least if that was me, mm-hmm. I would be so angry with yeah. the universe. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this happening to me? So I guess I'm curious, where did you direct that energy? What what was your, your mindset? Yeah, so, like, the first thought that really ran through my head was, like, what am I going to tell my friends? What am I going to tell my family? This is just the worst. But then I was also thinking how am I going to deal with this? Like, okay, here's this issue. What's next? How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to make sure I come out on the other side so that I can complete all of the tasks and endeavors that I want to complete in the future? So what was like the distances time between you being diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. before you knew, oh, this specific type of cancer, the cure rates are very high? About two or three days. Okay. But, um, Like, pretty much right after I found out I had the tumor, we flew back home the next morning. And then, um, like, I obviously was in a lot of pain. um, But I was at Lurie's, and people spoke English, um, which is just so, like, I guess relaxing in itself. And they gave me, like, lots of pain meds and stuff like that. So I knew I was in the right place, so I wasn't as stressed as I was, like, initially finding out. Oh, yeah. Um, So you were in Poland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, that Just does adds not a do whole you any no, a whole nother level to the story. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. All right. So that's a lot. A yeah. lot to unpack. So you have cancer. You're diagnosed. Uh, take me through the process of getting healthy. Um, right. What's happened over this timeline? Yeah. Okay. So well, I mean, a lot has happened, yeah, but I'm I'll sure. kind of I'll keep it as yeah, condensed. The Spark as I can. Notes version. Right. <laughs> um. So the day I found out. Um, I started chemo, and that, I mean, it made me nauseous, but they have anti-nausea meds. You figure out what works for you. Um, let's see, about two, three weeks after I started, I lost my hair. And unlike most girls, I w- really wasn't, like, afraid of losing it because I was like, okay, this is just another sort of side effect of what I have to deal with, and it'll come back. Um, and then I was still in the hospital at this point. And then about three weeks after I started losing my hair, I 
came back to school. At this point, it was like the middle of September, and I walked through the halls bald for the first time, which was definitely an experience. Um, it's weird when people are just constantly like staring at you and stuff. Um, but like now, when I walk around bald, it's I, I don't even notice when people are staring. But right. So because well, a lot of I assume most people didn't mm-hmm. necessarily know you or know that you had right. cancer, but being right. bald, it's like yeah. yeah, you stick out like a sore thumb. So, um, yeah, so then I was still getting chemo once a week. Um, I would kind of take the weekends to recover and then come to school when I was feeling up to it. And then about eight weeks after, I got um, a major surgery because the plan was to shrink the tumor and then remove my kidney with the tumor because it was pretty much gone. Um, so then I had this big surgery. They took out my kidney, took out the tumor. Um, it had also spread to my lungs and into my vena cava. They, um, took out the spots in my lungs and reconstructed my vena cava, um, and kind of got everything out that they could. That was about... What's the vena cava? So that's the huge vein that's, like, running through your whole body pretty much to your heart. Okay. Um, so yeah, they reconstructed that with, like, a piece of, um, Gore-Tex, which is, like, actually the material of a raincoat, kind of interesting. Um, so then after that surgery, I was out of school for like seven weeks just recovering. And then I was starting chemo again, radiation, that whole process. And the um, I got a, n- a new set of scans that showed everything was looking good. I actually had a clear set of scans that October, and I was planning to wrap everything up in April. Um, so then April hits. I had gotten more chemo, everything was looking good, I was ready to ring the bell, and I got that new set of scans, and there was more cancer. Yeah, so that pretty much means I relapsed. So then that meant more intense chemo, more radiation, more surgery, same type of cancer, still Wilms tumor, and uh, then I basically started this whole other intense round of chemo and radiation and it it really sucked for a long time um did you continue your extra curriculars so i pretty much did as much as i could i wasn't dancing anymore i did not have the energy to do it um but with the absence of dance i kind of ventured into other artistic things like singing and art and starting a youtube channel and stuff like that I mean, I'd like to, because I feel like I barely have the energy to do school. Right. How how did you pull that off? Yeah. So one of the best things that we have here is the Bridges program, which I guess I don't think a lot of people know about it, but they help out kids who have been out of school for um, long periods of time for various reasons, whatever they are. And um, I basically sit down there and just do as much as I can, whatever my teachers want me to do, the bare minimum. Um, I got a few like IP grades and stuff like that just so I could um, kind of personalize it to myself but still get the credits I need to graduate. So um, so can you tell us just like the experience of chemo, mm-hmm. just fatigue? Yeah. Or... So I think every medicine I got, like there was little differences between all of them. Um, but I mean the basic things like hair loss and um, – like nausea, fatigue, um, 
there's some that like affect your heart more than others, some that affect your bones more than others. Um, some of them would make me feel sort of anxious or just like sad for whatever reason, and then that would kind of go away in a few days. It's it's this roller coaster, this up and down. I don't know if I interpreted this correctly, but mm-hmm. I think you mentioned on your YouTube channel, mm-hmm. it gets rid of acne. Yeah. So, well, at least for me, I was dealing with like acne before I was diagnosed. And then I started getting chemo and I was like, wow, my, my skin's nice <laughs> and clear. Like, this is kind of nice. But So having gone through two rounds of that, yeah. do you feel like ridiculously strong just because, I mean... Yeah. Chemo is effective. It's like poisoning your it's, body. It's literal poison going into your body. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a surreal feeling. Honestly, being in remission now, it, it I still haven't even, I feel like, fully accepted it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's been so long and it's been such a crazy process that I, it doesn't feel real yet. So I'm curious, having gone through all of that, mm-hmm. what maybe... Uh, like life, daily life for a normal nutrition student, healthy right. nutrition student. What do we like little things that mm-hmm. we maybe take for granted, like don't even notice? Yeah, that you're now getting back to that are awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not everybody's favorite thing, but um, like I didn't have, I still don't even have the strength to take the stairs a lot of the time. Um, so I mean, I have an elevator pass. It's kind of nice. I know everybody's like, that's the best thing ever, but I don't know. That's just one thing. Um, I find, I think everybody could, uh, relate to the fact that it's like Nutria is such an environment full of pressure and, um, I need to get an A, I need to have this extremely high GPA, I have to go to the best school. And while that's all great, like, um, I used to be the exact same, but now it's like, okay, how much does that a plus on this one math quiz really matter mm-hmm. it doesn't at all in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter so I think going back to the facing your own mortality thing it's like I lived through that moment of like I could literally die so why would I waste my time worrying about the the little tiny pressures that we put on ourselves every day so I think I mean I'm still a perfectionist I'm still someone that wants to do the best I can in all of my classes, but it's not the end of the world if you don't have the perfect score, the perfect grade in this one class. It's not going to change your whole life. It's very um, interesting. An analogy that I've heard before is your problems are like an onion, mm-hmm. and when there's a really big one, um, it can like take up your entire life, mm-hmm. but if you're not dealing with things like life-threatening illness, mm-hmm. then if you peel the onion, if you're not mindful the little problems like your grade on the quiz or just the random um, problems throughout life can seem just as big in the moment. Yeah. Here's something here is about how have people treated you differently before, during, and now after cancer? Well, I mean, I think my general answer to that would be it hasn't really been that different. I think a lot of people have these horror stories of like bullying and things like that when you look different. But I mean, I've always been someone that carries myself with a fair amount of like confidence and stuff. And I always try my best to walk around with like a smile on my face and be as friendly as I can to everyone I meet. So I think that makes a huge difference. And I've also been so open about everything. And like, not to say that it's a bad thing if you 
don't tell the world like, every little detail of your medical history. But um, I think that allows people to see like, oh, like she's okay. She's just like all of us. Like we can talk to her, you know, um, like cancer is this huge, scary thing, but it, we don't have to talk about it like it is because it's literally, it's the reality of like it, my life. Mm-hmm. So, so you've mentioned how cancer almost got you in touch with the community of people who either themselves or their loved ones have been affected by it. Can you talk um, anything about that? Yeah, so I've been uh, able to meet a lot of interesting people throughout the process, whether that's um, my care providers or, like, nurses, doctors, whatever. Um, But I've met a lot of um, awesome kids and families at the hospital. And honestly, like... When I'm at the hospital, like, a lot of the kids, like, none of us want to be there. Um, And we're not always in the best moods because we know we're about to feel just so crappy from, like, chemo and stuff like that. Um, So kind of the main way I've been able to, like, meet people is through this ski trip I went on last March. They take us all to Aspen. It's 70 kids from around the U.S., five kids from Lurie's. And we all just got super close, just bonding over all of our experiences and things like that. And there was this one guy I met. He's our age, just the sweetest, most compassionate, loving person. We had a ton of fun on this trip. And um, I would bump into him when we had appointments at the same times and things like that. He had osteosarcoma, which those curates aren't as high. He also had relapsed around the same time as me. Our families were super close. And um, last November... He died. So, I mean, that's just kind of the reality of the world that I was exposed to. It's just insane. So so sad. And you were, I'm sure, with a lot of people um, who won't survive or haven't survived. Right. So not only did you have to deal with cancer yourself, but, like, your peers were going. Yeah. Was it easier to get through it? being surrounded by other people going through the same struggle? Were you guys able to, like, kind of lean on each other's shoulders for yeah, support? Yeah, for sure. I think, like, talking about a kid who's going through the same sort of things as you, it's it brings anyone together just, like, two dancers can talk about things that they go through. And, right. Yeah. Was it just people with cancer or other life-threatening illnesses? It was both, okay. yeah. Oh, mostly cancer kids, though. So I think a lot of people have been really impressed by how positive you've been. Mm -hmm. Like when I watched the YouTube video for the first time, maybe a few months ago, I was, wow, she really, like that's, she's not even faking it. There's a real positive energy coming. And I think a lot of people faced with the same diagnosis might get really upset Mm -hmm. or lash out and be the complete opposite. So Mm -hmm. how have you been able to be so positive in the face of something so devastating? Well, I mean, as positive as I've been, it doesn't mean I haven't had my you know, those periods of time where I've been sad or angry and things like that. But, um, yeah, for the most part, I've been tackling this with, like, positivity and optimism. Um, Really, to me, there was no other choice. Like, why would I sit around feeling sorry for myself when I can just accept the reality of what I'm going through, deal with it head on, and just do as much as I can outside of this and kind of take it day by day and you know, just deal with it. So uh, we were talking before the show about the organization you worked with. It's called right. Cal's Angels, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and then yeah. maybe how 
um, increasing funding for that can help people who are in a similar situation as Mm -hmm. you were. Yeah. So Cal's Angels, um, they're based in St. Charles, um, but they support like the whole Chicago area. So it's a local organization. And um, so they're the ones that put on the gold football game and all of that stuff. Um, And they do different fundraisers and things throughout the year. Um, Their motto is like, we're fighting war. So that's, um, it's W-A-R, wishes, awareness, and research. So they grant wishes for kids going through cancer. Um, They raise awareness and fund research. Um, So they donated lots of money to different hospitals and things like that. Um, And yeah, so they're just a really awesome organization that um, I've worked really closely with. And um, yeah, so one thing, there's a few statistics and things I can talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Um, So 46 children a day or 16,790 children per year are expected to be diagnosed with cancer. Childhood cancer rates have been rising slightly for the past few decades. Only three new drugs for pediatric cancer have been developed and approved in the past 30 years. And this one's, I think, one of the most shocking ones to me, but only 4% of federal government cancer research funding goes to study pediatric cancer. Mm. So it's That is shocking. It is shocking. It's really sad. And it's like, um, like all of this money is spent on other things that don't matter as much, but these kids, their lives are in jeopardy and, you know, it's... So yeah. um, do you have any idea of what has led to the rising... Um, amount of cancer over the past few years? You know, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. Um, But I do know that they definitely need our help. And something that um, I was thinking about is like donating $10, $20, $50, whatever it is. That may hurt your wallet for like this short amount of time, whatever. But it does not even compare to the pain and the suffering that kids fighting cancer go through every day. Absolutely. So we highly encourage you to donate if you're yeah. able to. Calsangels.org. Um, we can, you know, we'll, we got to link it on social media. Yeah, we will. We'll find a way. But what we're also going to do, and the timing of this is still pending, so if you follow us on Instagram, we'll be updating you there. Bobby and I are going to be doing a challah fundraiser. So we're going to be making challah for you guys, and all the proceeds will go to Cal's Angels. Uh, details still TBD there but we will keep you posted on social media at Chalatalk on Instagram. So stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, it's a, I think it's it's a super important issue. And, I mean, I can't even imagine what you had to go through, but it's awesome that you're able to sit here right now and say you're healthy. So we're really happy yeah. for you. Um, but you also have a lot else going on in your life that we'd mm-hmm. like to talk about. And I'm curious... You came from Canada as right. a sophomore. Yeah. What's it like coming to a school as big as New Trier, just like not only a new country? Yeah. So a little bit of background info. I was born in Evanston, um, lived like around here, around there f- until I was six, moved to Canada, lived there for 10 years, and I went to a school. My high school was like 300 kids per grade, and then um, right after freshman year, we moved here. And I knew I was coming to this big school, but I, upon getting here, I, it was just even more shocking actually experiencing those numbers. 
Um, so this is actually the fact that I moved here as a sophomore, something that a lot of people don't even know. Um, but yeah, it's it was really interesting. It's kind of like walking around and everybody like doesn't really recognize everyone. Um, so then I guess the fact that I was new kind of got lost. Yeah, there's so yeah. many faces I see on a daily basis. I just have no idea. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes and like yeah. you're walking at graduation or whatever and you don't even know who's sitting next to you. Exactly. It's crazy how big yeah. the school is. Is it, yeah. is it warmer here significantly? I lived in Toronto. So, I mean, that's not that far away. Um, and I guess, in my opinion, the weather is pretty much the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you also have been talking about your dance career. I'm very yeah. curious to know, it sounds like you were a very competitive dancer. Mm-hmm. So I started dancing when I was three years old. And I was forced to stop when I was diagnosed with cancer, um, just in terms of energy and stuff like that. It wasn't there anymore. Um, but when I moved here, I actually joined a pre-professional company in the city, and I loved it. It was never something I wanted to pursue as, like, my career, um, but I just have this passion for it, and I just loved training, um, even with the kids that were planning on doing that for their whole lives. So. Do you feel calling to return to the dance? Oh, I will for sure. Yeah, I'm currently working on building up my strength again so I can go back. And what would you like to be when you grow up? Uh, not a dancer, but yeah. what else are you interested in? So I think um, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field, but I was never sure what exactly that was going to be. Um, so I kind of debated between doctor, nurse, surgeon, all of the basic roles you would think of. And I was like, I don't know if I want to dedicate my entire life to like working and being in the hospital and being a doctor or a surgeon, but I kind of wanted to do more than nursing. As great as nursing is, I'm someone that kind of is really ambitious, so mm-hmm. I wanted to do more. So um, with all of my time at the hospital, I discovered this role of a nurse practitioner, um, which basically works right under a doctor, um, but right above a, your typical nurse. Um, and my goal would be to work in pediatric oncology. So. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I would love, it's a dream of mine to say to a kid, I got through this, so can you. Right. And, you know, so actually with that perspective, mm-hmm. I'd like to integrate one of our audience questions. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Ali Katz, asked, as someone who is now cancer-free, what advice you would give to a family member of someone, of a cancer patient? Mm-hmm. So I think going back to, like, the positivity and optimism thing, that's kind of something that's just in my nature. Um So I guess that kind of came easily to me, naturally to me. And so I would say do the best you can at just embracing your situation, accept that you may need help, try to smile through it. And there's so many resources available, support groups and various different things. Use them to your advantage. I know something that um, my family did was while I was in the hospital, my mom would usually stay with me. And my dad and my sister would be back home. And my mom's the one that cooks in the family. So what we did was we set up a meal train. So my neighbors and people around um, my town would kind of make dinner, a home-cooked meal, and bring it to my doorstep. And my dad and my sister would have dinner. Oh, that's awesome. So, like, we didn't have to worry about um, 
you know, like, oh, what what are they going to do for dinner, whatever, and they didn't have to go and eat a McDonald's cheeseburger every night, you know? That's great. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm currently dealing with a cousin who mm-hmm. um, has cancer, mm-hmm. and uh, it can definitely be hard to um, reach out because I'm always very cautious of offending them or... Right. Because I wasn't too close with this person. Oh, you mean you mean reaching out and them thinking you're only talking to me because I'm ill? Yeah, exactly. Got mm-hmm. it. Um, so I, I don't know. What what's just like when people reached out to you after your diagnosis? How did you respond? Were you? Do you think everyone was like fake reaching out to you? Um, I don't know. Do you have any yeah. perspective on that concept in general? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was really a lot of people were just so nice. Like there wasn't one person that was coming at me like maliciously um so I was obviously super thankful for like all of the support and things like that um but yeah so something I've thought about before is like I don't want people to pity me like I'm just another kid yes maybe I'm dealing with more than you are um but I think we all have our battles and we all have different things we're going through and although my battles are different than others I think we really should just all strive to be there for each other and support each other. Um, yeah, so I think I answered that. <laughs> Were there any people um, maybe that you didn't know before this process that like came to help support you that are, you're now really close with? Yeah, a lot of them, especially because I was um, new as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's difficult to meet people who have lived, there, lived here um, their whole lives and already have their circle of friends and things like that. Um, so when I was diagnosed and I was really open about it all over social media, lots of people reached out and, um, some of them I happened to befriend and a lot of them happened to be some of my best friends today. So, so, um, on the other side, um, was there anyone who was almost too afraid to deal with a situation of having a friend with cancer and distance themselves or, did not reach out as much as you expected? Not in my experience. Okay. Um, Thankfully, I guess, yeah. Everybody's been, like, really there to support me. So So I know you compete in DECA. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually don't know that much about DECA, although I have, like, 50 friends in it. So I know there's a ton of events. What events do you compete in? Um, Yeah. So I compete in um, buying and merchandising, team decision-making with my <clears throat> partner, Nina Poftra. Shout out to her. Um, yeah, I love DECA. It's it's more of an academic-based club, but it's also an outlet to be really creative and um, kind of explore different areas of the business world. Um, I think it's something that, like, I obviously want to be a nurse practitioner and work in the medical field, but the skills that you can learn in DECA apply to anything they're kind of just basic life skills and I think it's an awesome thing if you're interested um I'm thinking it trains the muscle of like thinking on the spots right awesome awesome Mm -hmm. good skills to have all right I'm gonna bring in a few more of our audience questions Anna McBride asked us are you going to miss being bald at all honestly a little bit I have to say showers are a lot faster so um, much faster. So much that. faster. And um, I don't know, sometimes hair gets annoying. Now, like for about a year, I didn't wear a wig. I never did. And then kind of this past summer, I just 
was like, yeah, I'm going to try it out. And I do like wearing it. Um, it kind of gives me some sort of sense of normalcy. But I also like just kind of ripping off my hair at the end uh-huh. of the day. And I just have this, like, <laughs> like liberty of just, you know, being bald. Um, I was bald for a while mm-hmm. due to lice. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I hated was wind blowing on it. Yeah. Have you experienced that at all? And just, like, on your bare head, it's just weird sensation. I yeah. used to. Well, I definitely, I have a large collection of hats now. Um, but I'm used to kind of the wind now and definitely though the first time I stepped out of the hospital bald, it was, it was cold. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, so th- I assume they shave your hair cause it yeah. starts to fall out, but they, they just shave it preemptively. Some people decide to just let it fall out naturally, but it was getting all over my pillow. Like, I don't know. I just felt really like gross just sitting in like hair. Like <laughs> It was just gross. So I was like. Shave it. I don't care. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, like, what's it like? But at that point, I'm sure you'd already mentally detached from yeah. having hair. I knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, do you have one wig or multiple wigs? Like, can you just change your hairstyle on a whim? Yeah. Well, this is the one I've been wearing. Like, this is my daily one. Um, but I just bought, like, a brown wig. It's, nice. I don't know. I haven't, I'm not used to it yet, so I haven't worn it out yet. And, of course, I have my purple wig from Spirit Halloween, so sometimes uh-huh. I bust that one out. <laughs> so, um, John Duncan is a person who sends my family just random packages for a while. You might need um, to give more context there. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know how to explain it. I think some Amazon companies, they send random houses a bunch of random China crap okay. um, in order to, like, inflate its ratings online Mm -hmm. so my family just got the most random stuff like Mm -hmm. a gazebo and um lots of different types of toys Mm -hmm. and one of the things we've gotten was quite a few wigs so (laughs) if you ever want an extra wig Uh, i'm your wig guy um all right so caitlin hughes asked how was meeting charlie puth Mm -hmm. or is it puth okay all right i got Um, it the first time yeah that was crazy so i've been fortunate enough to meet like Anthony Rizzo and stuff like that but um this was kind of like the biggest experience I had with meeting someone famous um so basically I got a call I think it was like a Wednesday night randomly and um my mom was like hey would you want to go meet Charlie Puth tomorrow with 101.9 the mix and I'm like um, are you kidding me? Of course I would. <laughs> so it was me and two other kids from Lurie's. Um, I was the only cancer kid, but I was thinking right before we got there, I was like, this guy, he's so cool. He's like, and I'm obviously a, like, I sing a lot now. So I'm like, this is a fantastic musician. He produces, he's a great singer, all of this stuff. Like, how can I make this experience more meaningful for me? So we're talking to him, meeting him, you know, your typical meet and greet thing. And I was like, you know what? YOLO, let's go for this. I'm going to ask him if I can pull him aside and sing to him. (laughs) So I was like, hey, I just have a question for you. Can I just have five minutes of your time? I just want to like sing to you, with you, whatever you want. Like, let's just go. And he's like, yeah, of course. So I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm, I'm about to go sing to Charlie Booth. What is going on? And, um, we went into this side room, and I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so then I sang to him. He kind of joined in a little bit. What would you sing? 
I sang Somebody to Love by Queen. Okay. One of my standard songs. If you know me, you know I love to sing that song. Um, um, but so basically I sang to him. He joined in a little bit. And then at the end, he was just like, oh, my God, I'm so ready to, like, fly back to L.A., like, take my, like, go about my day. I feel, like, energized. You literally have the voice of a baby angel. That's what he said to me. I was like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, we've, we we have to hear it on here. If you want to watch the entire video, it's on. I have a singing Instagram account. Okay, it's perfect. A, it's at L-I-V-S-I-N-G with three Zs at the end, Live Sings. So. All right, so if you want to yeah. hear it. Go if, at Live Sings Instagram. Yes. If you're not giving us that, mm-hmm. can we hear you whistle through your teeth? <laughs> yeah. This is literally just the most random thing. Little backstory. I was like six or something, and I was like trying to whistle, but my sister or someone kept making me laugh. And I, you can't whistle if you're smiling. So I figured out some sort of way to just like do it while I was smiling. So here we go. Wow. It seems like it's like Mickey Mouse would yeah, do. That was it. So it number one, that's a very wholesome story of how yeah. you learn to whistle through your teeth. Mm-hmm. And number two, your teeth must be just like happen is the air going through the two front teeth that makes the noise? It's like so my teeth are like like slightly like open or whatever and it's uh-huh. like this shape I like made with my tongue, I guess. I don't really know. Well, but yeah, that's cool. I figured it out. I also have a <laughs> cool trick I can do with my mouth. <laughs> and what's um, that? I can blow bubbles out of it. Okay. Oh, that is actually crazy. Um, but no one can see it. No one can see you it. You didn't realize we were on a podcast. Right there. That's not. That is nuts. Um, but my sister could do it. Mm-hmm. The director of our camp could do it, um, and I could never do it. So on a plane ride home from Thailand, I did a trip there. Just the whole plane ride, I'm just blowing bubbles out of my my mouth, and mm-hmm. I practice the scale. And now I'm an expert bubble blower. <laughs> so the moral of the story is: try. Wait, no. The moral of the story is: you can give the moral. Um, if you, if you want to do something, determination, perseverance, be, be determined, <laughs> work hard and good things will come. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've had a great time. Same. Olivia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You were fantastic. This is a great way to start season two. I'm so excited to continue going this season. We're planning for 18 episodes. So really excited to bring back Hala Talk. Follow us on Instagram at Hala Talk. And do you want to link your YouTube channel? Yeah, sure. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's just Olivia Surgot. And um, if you look up my name on YouTube, you can find my channel there. All right, great. Well, that's all the time we have for now. We will see you guys soon. Thanks for listening.